You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined once again by Gene Henley here for another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on your podcast app of choice. We really appreciate it very much. If you're on YouTube, give this video a like and share it around. We'll have a lot we're going to talk about for this episode. It's been a while since Gene and I have had an episode together, but also just a lot's happened in the last few days for Tennessee men's basketball. So plenty to talk about here in a second. But again, give this video a like, uh, share it around, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, or if you're listening to the podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify and you know, subscribe if you haven't already. So we really appreciate you guys and appreciate all the support we get from Vols and Lady Vols fans alike. Well, Gene, like I said, we've got a lot to cover in this one. Uh, uh, two commitments from Tennessee, uh, one in the 22 class, one maybe in the 22 class. There's actually a 23 kid right now that there's a good chance he could reclassify to 22. We'll see. But first, Gene, we have to talk about my man, Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics, uh, two-time SEC Player of the Year, former Vol star, went out and just had one of the most improbably incredible Game 7 performances I've ever seen. Goes out, and anytime you, you get mentioned, Gene, in a, in a record book with Steph Curry, you know you're doing something right. Tied Steph Curry, and I, I, I forgot who the other one, Mar- Marcus Morris, I think maybe, who was the other person that did it, but t- basically tied Steph Curry, that's the big headliner, for most made three-pointers in a Game 7 in NBA history. Grant Williams goes 7 of 18 from 3 to not only lead the Celtics, but lead the entire both teams, lead, lead everyone in scoring. When you have guys like John, Giannis out there, when you have guys like Jason Tatum out there and Jalen Brown, heck, you can throw Marcus Smart in there if you want to. Um, and yet, there was Grant Williams leading everybody with 27 points, uh, 7 of 18 from 3, and helping lead the charge for the Celtics' blowout victory in Game 7 to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Gene, I mean, to me, the most impressive thing is, once again, Grant Williams has kind of, I don't know if reinvented is is maybe the right word, but he, he has once again transformed his game and transformed himself. You look at when he came to Tennessee him and uh, Admiral had to go through the what they called the the fat camp, basically, uh, where he transformed his body, transformed himself, and put in the hard work to become you know a, a very very good freshman, and then become a two time SEC Player of the Year as a, a sophomore and a junior, and be an undersized four for Tennessee for his entire career. A guy who didn't attempt hardly any threes at all in his first couple of years, and then really you know didn't shoot very many in his third year, but still you know shot a little bit more in his third season, but definitely was not a known as a three-point shooter at all in his Tennessee career, period. I mean, he would shoot it, but in, in his third year, but I mean, when you thought of Grant Williams, you thought of a guy who would go draw fouls and, you know, have a, have a post move, have the spin move in the lane to go and, and, you know, score buckets that way. He was not a guy you thought was a, a corner three threat. When he first got into the NBA, he was 0 of 25 on his first three point, 25 three-point attempts. And then now this season, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, Gene, he was almost a 40 50 90 guy he was he just missed it by a, a few percentage points on the 
a two or I guess four, yeah on, on the two point or the overall field goal numbers, he was almost a 40, 60 or 40, 50, 90, where he hit 40 something percent from three and hit 90 percent of his free throws and just missed the overall field goal percentage of 50. He had a very solid year as a role player for Boston and as a spot starter, and he you've been playing really good defense. You know, this 27 point game is going to get all the head at you know, the attention, but Gene, his defense on Kevin Durant and his defense on Giannis both have been phenomenal. He, he's been the, the Celtics best defender of both those guys. And I'm going to be very intrigued to see what he does in this heat series. Cause I also think it's going to be really cool to see him play against PJ Tucker. Cause that's a guy who he's been comped to by a lot of people, but I'm just, it, it's just so cool to see, Grant Williams get all the, all the attention, Gene, because he's a guy that there were so many question marks about him coming out of college. If he could become a guy who could shoot the three ball and be a consistent three point shooter in the NBA, now three years into it, and he was an extremely reliable three point option all season, and then he turned into just a sharpshooter uh, for them in the playoffs. He's, he's he's I think already shooting better from three than he did in the regular season in the playoffs. I mean, it, it's been really fun to watch, and that game game seven was a lot of fun to watch. Right. And I think what Grant Williams is, and I think I've, we've talked about this before, but it's a prime example of player development. Um, it, it's a prime example of figuring out your flaws and working on them. He shot like 20 something percent from three a couple of years ago. Maybe it was last year. I remember exactly when, but it's like 25% from three point range. And he's not the biggest guy. Now, obviously, he's strong but he plays kind of like a four position, you know, per se on that team. And so like, he's going to have to get his buckets in different ways. Like you've got guys on that team. You've got Jason Tatum, who's emerging as an amazing player right before our very eyes. You've got uh, Jalen Brown. You've got Marcus Smart. Heck in the playoffs, you've had Al Horford. And so you've got who's obviously got all-star appearances on his resume. So you've got guys there who, you know, who are going to get a lion's share of attention. And guess what? He's going to keep getting those shots. And, and like, that's what this league has become now. Um, they're going to try, you know, good teams. Like, I mean, the Heat are a good team. And the Heat are going to try to take away those other guys, which means guys like Grant Williams and so on and so forth. Um, they're going to have wide open looks or at least open looks. You know, NBA wide open looks are not like high school or college basketball open looks. You're, not, you're, you're just not going to, you're going to have a split second. That release has to be quick and you've got to be good at it. And so like what I saw, you know, when I saw the highlights of that game was he had a good, he had a bunch of open looks and he was able to knock them down. And obviously at one point this year, he was a 50, 40, 90 guy. I mean, he, I think he tailed off late, but it's a prime example of just player development. That's just on the, excuse me, that's just on the offensive side because if we look, we look at the first two rounds of the playoffs. He held his own against Kevin Durant, who's he's obviously considerably stronger than. And um, I, I have dreams of Stan Van Gundy yelling at me that Grant Williams is doing a better job than anybody on Giannis. And I saw six of those seven games. I didn't see much in the seventh game, but. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just, you know, a credit to his, you know, desire to be a good, uh, to be a good professional basketball player. Uh, this is his job. And one thing that we all knew about Grant Williams was 
he was going to be successful at whatever he chose to do in life. When he chose basketball at his, as his profession by being a first-round draft pick, you knew that he was going to do everything he could to be the best version of himself at that league. And for him to be the best version of himself, he was going to have to improve his shooting. I don't think he was a bad shooter in Tennessee, just never shot it, um, which means he just had to get the repetition. His first year, at one point, he missed like 20-something threes in a row or something. And, you know, people were trying to run him out of Boston. And like, what, two years later, two, three years later, look at where we are. We're talking about a guy who is, you know, who is who came up huge in a big spot with no prior, you know, game seven experience. And you don't always know how those are going to go. And some guys are going to step up and some guys are going to shrink in that moment as the Phoenix Suns. Ooh. Ooh, Gene, ask ask Chris Paul, ask the point God, I guess. Uh, he's he's had a rough uh, week, and it's only Tuesday as of us recording this. Oh, man, they didn't uh, – I forgot. Who was it? Pat Bev? They didn't pull any punches. Uh, about he's, still, and he's still, and that's uh, – not a big fan of that just because you, he's currently in the league. And mm-hmm. uh, I understand the other guys who aren't in the league anymore. Like it's, it's It makes for good entertainment, but um, – I, I don't think if you if if we look, there's been an overwhelming majority of like uh, of like pros like guys that are in that league who have not had his back. Um, he's out there mainly on an island, saying all this stuff, and he's done it for two days straight. And you know, like network producers are going to just like keep throwing that guy on television because he says stuff. And, and typically, if you say stuff, there's going to be a place for you. Um, I mean, J.J. Reddick says stuff, but he's so good at it that, you know, like it, it's it's accepted. You know, Draymond, I mean, there's so many guys who do. But, yeah, uh, certainly a rough week. Before, we, before we, I'm not going to let us get too far away from where we are. So, but, yeah, it, it's been a rough week for Chris Paul, who, whose AAU team Brett Williams played for. Oh, well, there you go. That was a nice way to bring it back there uh, to Grant Williams and to a Tennessee relation there. Gene, but yeah, no. I mean, again, very proud of Grant as a as a Celtics fan. It obviously hits a little different for me too. So I'm I'm, I'm very pumped of that. He uh, chose Game Seven to have you know his incredible performance, and I think I said on Twitter I could not have asked for a better time for Grant Williams to start his dominance. So hopefully uh, he can help the Heat move on, or help tennis. Ten, goodness, help Boston beat the Heat and help the Celtics go to the finals. So we'll, we'll see what Grant does. I'm sure again. A lot of listeners here may like basketball, but I don't think Knoxville has a whole lot of NBA fans. But maybe Grant Williams will convert some people into some NBA fans, or at least for a, a minute. You know, maybe, maybe not to the same degree that Peyton converted fans into Colts fans or Broncos fans here. You know, as that other lived in Tennessee or that were of all fans. But Grant Grant has some, I think, sway and, and some you know power over Tennessee fans and basketball fans in general. So or Tennessee basketball fans at least specifically. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes and see how he does. And I'm I'm very curious to see his ceiling and what he can reach as an NBA player, I don't ever expect him to be an all-star or anything like that, but he's a really, really, really good defender. Uh, I think Stan Van Gunn and other players have even said that they could see him potentially being a, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate. I don't, I don't know that he'll win because it's so big. Like it's so geared towards the bigs that, you know, the fact that Marcus Smart won it this year was the first time a guard had won it, in, I think 20 years. So, or at least 15. So it's usually geared more towards those rim protectors, those you know the the fours and the fives in the league that are like six nine to seven foot. But still, he he is a very elite defender, and I think he can be an all defensive team you know multiple times in his his NBA career potentially. But 
to look at, you know, to move on from former Vol stars to maybe, I guess, now current and potential Vol stars, uh, Gene, last week, had on a guest, if y'all missed the episode from Friday, go check it out. Uh, had a guest on here who I've not had on the show before, so go check it out. I, I liked him and I knew who he was. Ethan Stone, um, followed his work a few other times. He used to write, used to write for the Daily Beacon at University of Tennessee. Um, but he and I talked about Julian Phillips committing Gene, and I want to want to get your thoughts on it because uh, you and I, I, I guess, I mean, definitely sooner than a month ago, but like a month ago or so, we did a... Uh, a mailbag episode where we were asked about, I can't remember who asked that, but we'd ask someone asked a question about, do we think Tennessee lands the trio of Tyreek key, Yuri Collins and Julian Phillips at that, at that point we said we felt great about key. We actually felt really good at that point about Yuri Collins, but obviously that didn't pan out. Uh, and then we both, I think kind of ignored Phillips because we said at the time it, it really felt like Auburn was their front runner that he just wasn't going to come to Tennessee. In fact, we, we basically just kind of dismissed, dismissed it and said, yeah, he's not going to come to Tennessee. That just shows how much recruiting can change. Also, maybe how uninformed uh, we are, Gene. <laughs> but uh, Julian Phillips, Tennessee missed him the first time around. He commits to LSU, actually even signs with LSU. And then the fire will wade. He gets out of his NLI, uh, not NIL, but NLI with uh, LSU. And then goes back on the market. And the second time around, Tennessee gets him. They beat out Bruce Pearl. And the beat out really the also the NBA G League if you're gonna look at as kind of like who the the finalists probably were is Tennessee Auburn and and you know going pro, but Tennessee gets the commitment from the consensus five stars ranked number eighteen on two four seven sports I think their composite has on twelfth uh, I've seen him between the fifteen thirteen range on most places I think eighteen I think two four seven has him the lowest ranked and he's still a you know easily a five star Gene this kid uh, Julian Phillips. Pretty darn good. I think you and I both have talked about how how we think what his, you know, how good of a player he is, and we're wondering if you know, if the fact that what Auburn just did with Jabari Smith was going to really, you know, weigh on him and say, hey, you know, I can go there and be the next Jabari Smith because of he's not quite the same build as uh, Jabari. He also wasn't ranked quite as high as Jabari was, but he's still a top twenty prospect in in a class, and he's six eight, two hundred pounds, has this has the you know the skills of a wing player. And the ability to shoot from outside, the ability to shoot the jump shots, and the ability to to drive to the rim, which I don't think Jabari did enough or did as much of as maybe he could have. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable doing it, but I always thought Jabari Smith could drive to the basket more than what he did. Um, or maybe I'm thinking wrong. I, maybe he did, I, and I'm just completely remembering wrong. And people are listening to this saying, "Wow, you stupid." But regardless, Julian Phillips from Lincoln Academy, uh, from Branson, Missouri, six eight, two hundred pound. Five star chose Tennessee over Auburn, and of course a bunch of other offers too, and over the G League and I think Ignite was the whatever it was. But Gene, I mean, this is to I guess I don't I want to spend I guess too much time because I did just have a whole podcast about it on Friday, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it because again, you and I both were in the camp for weeks that we did not see him coming to Tennessee, and then it just slowly kept building up over time, over time, and. Obviously, now he's going to come to Tennessee. And I, I think he's a guy who you look at the way the roster is set up for next season. You're going to be there. There are minutes to be had because of the departures, but at the same time, there's not like the, the starting five is. I feel like it was it was you had more question marks in the who's going to start in the backcourt that I thought you did kind of the front court. I don't know if, if Phillips lives up to his potential at all. Period and stays healthy it's going to be really hard to keep him off the floor. And I think he starts. And that to me brings up the question of, 
I think he plays more of a three because he's not he's not really a four, especially in kind of the way Rick Barnes likes to run his offense and defense. So do you have a case where you have a an Urosh at the five or maybe a, a Camwa at the five, and then you have Julian Phillips, who's the same height as a Camwa, basically, um, at the three, and then you have a six six um four spot with a Josiah Jordan James. Like it, to me the the matchups or the lineups for next year with the rotation with the roster we already see right now, again, there's still a couple of spots open and we'll, we'll touch on it here in a second on another guy, Tennessee got committed and then maybe who also they're targeting still for those remaining spots. But Gene, the rotations for next season are really interesting in the terms of looking at who you have uh, coming off the bench. I mean, again, it doesn't really matter who starts and who comes off the bench. It's, it's more of your minute allocation and also who, who you're trusting in those final four minutes of a game. But man, there, there's uh we're already seeing kind of the, the flipping of the roster here for Tennessee and the talent is going to be maybe just as good as this past year's team was in terms of at least just like on paper, the talent and experience that you're bringing in for the roster next year. Cause I, I think Julian Phillips is just a legitimate, I mean, barring injury, I think he is a one and done player, but I think he's a legitimate, like very, very, very solid uh, freshman campaign upcoming for Tennessee. Yeah. So I'm thinking, um, sorry, I was actually in the process of, banging out like just a bunch of names of guys that I could see just the first names that, you know, I think of when mm-hmm. I think of this Tennessee team. Um, and the first eight names that I typed in were Ziegler, James, Vescovy, Phillips, Edwards, Plavsic, Key, and Kamwa. Um, am I forgetting somebody? Uh, those are the main eight that I think are, have returning slash have signed. I think that unless I'm forgetting, I'm, I'm gonna look up the roster, but I think you got everyone that is coming back and has also signed. Oh, Jonas Adu and J- Javon Mayshack. Those are kind of the other two names you can throw in there. But yeah, those are the main eight I think besides Adu. I, th- I, w- I would put an Adu in there. I think he's gonna play for sure. Uh, barring some, uh, barring an offensive. Uh, just explosion this offseason. I, I, Meshack's going to have a hard time finding his way in there. Yeah. Just early uh, early opinion there. Because um, I think you can teach you, – you can – defense is about effort and want to. Uh, and that's why Tennessee is good there. Like, it's about, it's about effort and want to. But – you can't teach like the skill level of some of the offensive guys they've got. You can't teach the shot that Vescovy has. Like, and so like you can, you know, so when it comes to the defensive side, that's where Meshack is best at. You can use him in some spots, but the problem is he has to play offense too. Um, and he may be just a little bit behind there, but so I look at these eight names um, and I don't know where pieces fit there. Um, they're not going to be so say they go with Vescovy, uh, Ziegler, um, James Phillips, and Plastic. Just throwing those names out there. Uh, and I, I think the I don't know if Phillips starts. Um, okay. and it's it's so you've got to figure out exactly how these 
guys are going to work? Will they come in here and be can will Edwards be Huntley Hatfield? And I don't say that to knock either player, but um like is that what he's gonna come in there thinking? Because Olivier has been through a lot in his Tennessee career. So now, like, that's the kid who's going to fight for every single minute he has. Um, and that's the kid who who played well last year before the injury. You know, maybe Eurosh is the, is the odd guy out, but now you're starting five or, you know, five, nine, six, three, six, 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 eight, six, eight. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how good that makes you on the defensive side. You're going to get out rebound a lot of nights. Um, you're going to have to hope that your shooting is on more often than not. Um, and, and you know, you've got a do. You've got you've got those guys. Like it's good. It, it makes for a very interesting situation because whereas I think that Phillips should be more or less a day one starter, also noticed how well. Josiah um, shot the ball at the end of the year. Um, I noticed how well Vescovy always shoots and how important he is and how important Josiah is. If you're going to tell me that there's two guys that are just marked in as starters, those are the two. Now you're going to go with Vescovy at a point guard and then figure everything else out around there. Where does, where does Key fit in? Like, that's an interesting question. You know, if they make any more additions – from the portal how do those guys fit in because the deal, the thing with the portal is not everybody comes in here it's just like i just want to be a, have a spot on a team a lot of these guys are coming in here expecting to play mm-hmm. expecting to start like we're going to talk about a kid who i'm pretty sure if he comes to tennessee he's not going to be okay just being a you know being a role player develop because in his mind, I shouldn't have left in the first place. I could have stayed where I was at. And there's another, there's you know, another school involved there that I'm pretty sure lost players in his position. You can go play right away. You ain't got to worry about the rest of it. So, like, I, I'll be interested to see just like those eight right there, the ones that immediately pop off my head. And no, not those nine. I'm sorry, those nine, and you know, an A dude. Like, you can't stunt his development. You can't. The guys who you look at that are just uniquely talented players, you can't stunt their development, whatever that means. I said it about Huntley Hatfield last year. Um, his, I, I do think that whereas I didn't like the, the narrative that was being created out there by him, I also think that, there, you know, there's some stuff for him that he's got to figure out as far as what he wants to do. Um, but you've got to, you can't stunt the development of these younger guys. If Phillips out there getting five, 10 minutes a game, then guess what? You won't have him for the 23-24 season. You'll have him next year, but that kid will be in the portal. Um, and can he be happy in a system that doesn't really feature wings? Doesn't. Wings are expected to catch and shoot. And occasionally, you know, look at what Admiral Schofield did. That's essentially the role you're talking about. Hmm. I mean, these are things that have to be thought about. Again, a lot of times kids don't think about it. They get there. They think because they're so good. This is at every level of basketball. They think that they're so good 
that the, eventually the system will just work out for them. It's not always the case. Um, I mean, Admiral was mainly a spot shooter. I think he shot like, I think Admiral shot like 60 free throws his senior year of, of college. Maybe 80. I, I'm pretty certain it wasn't 100. And this is, and, you know, it's one of the things I remember thinking about. I'm like, this, this is his 6'5 with that body, that build. She gets to the line a lot. Didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that, that's trying to figure out that system is it, it's going to be interesting because I don't see it changing. It's going to run through whoever that point guard is. And at this moment, they've only got two. And one of them's been there what seems like forever because in this day and age, being in college, at the same college for four years, it's like being there forever. But um, and that's where we are with Vescovy and even with Josiah. But um, like that, the, the office is going to run through those guys and it'll filter out to the others. And maybe something changes with that, but it, it, it's, it's one of those things is gonna, that I think will have to be monitored. But, I mean, right now, the fact that you get those guys – is always the key, like because if you're going to, I mean, for you to compete, you've got to be willing to go in there and get some of those guys, and they've done a good job of at least doing that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. You're talking about getting to the foul line. That was something that Tyreek Key excelled at. I mean, it was Indiana State, but even at like the high major schools they played. And of course, again, they played in a pretty good mid-major conference too. He was really good at draw, drawing fouls. And when I was able to interview him here on the show. I, you know, asked him like, "Hey, you know, seems like you're good at that. Do you really like embracing contact?" And he said, "Yeah." He's like, "I, I like that. You being physical, using that physicality." And he's not like he's a guy who's six three. He's not like a, you know, um, a Grant Williams who is six six and two thirty five. He's six three two oh five. Which still, he's built. I mean, do you see pictures of him? If y'all saw him on the video here on the, on the channel, you'll know he's not like a scrawny six three kid. He's a six three built two oh five kid. So I, that to me is interesting that that's, that's the, the kind of guy Tennessee brought in was a, a, a guard who gets to the rim and draws a lot of fouls. I think Phillips is capable of doing that too. I don't have, you know, it's hard to find stats for high school kids really, you know, most of the time. Um, but I, I know Phillips, I think he played at that. Um, uh, it was on TV. You know, I can't remember what it was now, but the, that tournament, he, I think he finished like four or five on the floor, nine points, a couple boards. I don't think he, I think he was, you know, made to the free throw line one time was one of two from there or maybe one of one from an and one. But like, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of, of stats to base off, you know, how often did he get the free throw line in high school or anything like that, but he has the ability to do it. But I think, he, I mean, he made good points, Gene, like at Tennessee, there hasn't been a whole lot of focus on wings on the offense in terms of driving the basket. It's been more of a, you know, shoot it from three, maybe mid-range stuff. But this year, there was also, this year's offense was different than what we've seen most of Rick Barnes's offenses be. And I wonder, you know, that was, obviously, you had to make a big overhaul with your assistant coaching staff, uh, with Kim English leaving, and then also um, Dez. No, yeah, Dez. Yeah, he, he left. Or was it someone else? They've had so many guys leave the last few years now. I can't keep it straight. Oliver, yeah, Dez Oliver left after last year. Yeah, uh, Kim English left too, but for the same time. Yeah, English. Yeah, they both left. And uh, obviously, um, SMU, Rob Lanier. Rob Lanier, yeah. And then Schwartz left this year. So you've, you only had one replacement. But my point was saying that, you know, last year after those guys left, you know, you brought in Rod Clark, you brought in um, Justin Gaines, but you also had – 
Greg Polinski on staff, who's an NBA guy we talked about a few weeks ago when he was, you know, promoted, but he brought him in as a, as a off court analyst type role thing, like not an actual on the court assistant coach that's in the game. He brought him in as a, as a guy with a bunch of NBA scouting background. And now he is an assistant coach. And I wonder if he's going to have a, you know, a lot of the guys, the two assistants that are under, you know, that are both Clark and Ganey, they're younger guys. Polinski's not, uh, he's, <laughs> he's close to the same age as, as Rick Barnes, but he has, again, a bunch of NBA experience and who better to ask and like talk to about, you know, how to mold these guys and to be better fits for the NBA than a guy like Greg Polinski, who was up there for decades. So I, I wonder, I, I feel like this year was a, a little bit of a shift for Barnes and his offensive philosophy. It wasn't a wholesale change. It wasn't like, you know, unrecognizable from his first few years on campus to what it was last year, but it was different. I mean, I, there's no denying that. Just look at the number of three point shots compared to any other year that Rick Barnes has been here. It was different. And just watching it was different uh, because the strength was in the perimeter and, and not inside. But now with a guy like key and with a guy like Phillips, who I think both are capable of getting, you know, attacking the basket and drawing fouls. I, you made a really good point that I hadn't really thought about Gene, Almost all the additions so far, with the exception, I think, of Toby Awaka, who we'll talk about here in a second, all the additions that Tennessee's had so far, you can even put in B.J. Edwards in there, too, they've all been pretty offensive-minded. I, I mean, I think Phillips has a lot of versatility on defense. Um, being 6'8", 200, 210, like in his length and his athleticism, he's going to, you know, he's not, I don't think, going to be a slouch on defense. The key is a, is a good defender, but he's not the most phenomenal defender in the world. Um B.J. Edwards, I think, has some good defensive skills, but he's a freshman point guard slash combo guard that, you know, typically that they struggle with defense when they first come in. Look at Kenny Chandler. He got better as the year went on, but he he was struggling on defense, you know, early on in the season especially. But I think the guys that Tennessee's brought in for the most part have all been more offensively minded than defensively minded. And it helps you, your returning cast is a very strong core of defense. Josiah Jordan James, one of the best defenders in the SEC, hands down, uh, re- you know, returning for a fourth year. Most likely, him and Vescovy still are in the NBA draft process, but imagine both those guys are coming back. I think Cam Wall has some good defensive skills. Adu, very good rim protector. Uh, Urosh has gotten better as a defender. Um, still not my favorite post defender Tennessee's ever had, but he's he's getting better. Still needs to work on his foot quickness and his hip rotation, but he's got some skills there. Uh, they can bang with the big bodies down low in the SEC, if nothing else. Obviously, you just mentioned Mayshack, who needs to work on his offensive game, but he's a really, really good defender. And then Ziegler, for pound for pound, is actually a very solid defender, uh, all things considered. He's very pesky, able to pick pockets and you know stay in front of guys because of his speed. So pretty much all the guys you're returning, Gene, have really good defensive skills, and some of them have some pretty good offensive skills too. So I think the area you were lacking in was offense, and I think all of Tennessee's additions so far have been offensive-oriented, and I think that's something that I hadn't really realized until you said it, kind of more or less basically just said, you know, we're making a point just then that, you know, I think those guys are going to bring something to Tennessee's offense they haven't had in a while, and it's the ability to get to the rim. Because that was the biggest thing that they struggled with this past season. They had three-point shooters. You had some guys in the post that could do some things, but you didn't really have anybody that could finish at the rim. For as as built as Josiah is, he should be able to finish at the rim, but it's just not his game. He doesn't feel comfortable doing it. He doesn't do it. Uh, Kennedy could, but again, him being smaller kind of held him back from that. Zakai, again, being smaller held him back from that. Brandon Huntley Hatfield wanted to do more fadeaways and mid range than he did that, you know, attacking the basket. Fulgerson, again, not strong enough. He wanted to, he had, he had the willpower to do it, but again, he had more of a finesse fadeaway than anything. It just, again, lacked the kind of 
the strength to get there <laughs> than like a like a Grant Williams or somebody could. Adu again lack the strength. I think he will. I'd be interested to see if he develops into that. Orosh still more of a finesse game. So Tennessee didn't have a whole lot of big you know heavy hitters cutters to the basket this past year. Now they have at least one guy and I think maybe two guys that can do that. I don't, I don't know about BJ Edwards or how much he's going to play this year either, but. Gene, I think you made a good point. I think the guys they've added so far have been offensive oriented. And I think they are going to be guys that are going to take minutes away from the minute. Just the the minute allocation is going to be really interesting to see this year. Cause I I don't think it's good. I think it's gonna be really hard to predict. Um, And it's going to change obviously like this last year did. It's going to change from game one to game 30 as to who's playing, you know, more minutes a game uh, than what we're maybe expecting from game one to game 30. Well, and, you know, you, you talked about yeah the, the recent additions. Um, but, yeah, I think what, what it's always been told to me is you recruit offense, you coach defense, because, like, you can get guys who, you know, like, it, it, it looks like when you recruit a guy, it's like, can this guy fit into this box? Like if they're six six and they're not athletic, how good of a shooter are they? Can we make them into a shooter to where they're like a three and D guy? That's essentially what Josiah is kind of turned into. Uh, is like kind of a three and D guy, and you know he can do some other stuff, obviously, but he's at his best when he's catching and shooting, and out in transition and guarding every position on the court because he does have that skill as well. Um, so, yeah, like when you look at the guys, there's a certain level of aggression that you see there. I mean, Key, I know, shot a lot of free throws um, Indiana State. Uh, I think he's the only person that we really have uh, film of in terms of like what they've done in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't. He's yeah, he's your only transfer so far, which is interesting. But um, but yeah, I think that when you're trying to put this thing together, it's like, you know, can you can you like put together a system where uh, can you put together a collection of guys to where it does not matter? Like, you know, you can teach the positioning. Like you look at, you look at all levels. I mean, look at the NBA right now. I mean, uh, you know, Boston and Miami are two defensive teams, but they also have good shot makers, which is why the scores of their games will still end up being in like the nineties, hundreds, so on and so forth. Whereas Tennessee played, you know, go back to college, Tennessee played a lot of games in the 60s and 70s two years ago. They were better last year, but um, they lived that year with Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. They lived in the 60s. And you're just not going to be, you know, just being tougher than everybody else. That's not always going to work. It works for a while. But after a while, you got to make shots. And so when you see the additions they've made, that's exactly what appears to have been addressed is the ability to uh, create shots and, and make them. Yeah. We'll see who else to add and, and we'll get to, I guess, some of that in a second. Cause Tennessee again, did add someone else uh, from the high school ranks it remains to be seen. If he will be a 2022 prospect, he was listed as one for a long time. And then all of a sudden when he committed, he said he's going to be part of the 23 class. And I, I'll be interested to see. I think the the scuttlebutt has something to do with his AAU program and him wanting to, um, you know, treat them with respect and and I think serve as much as he can with them. And but that also still like you know join the team Tennessee in the summer and maybe be a twenty two prospect. So I think the idea is that he's going to be a 
2022 signee for Tennessee. But regardless of winning plays for Tennessee, the the Vols got a commitment uh, on Tuesday morning from six foot eight power forward. And in this case, he's not like uh, Julian Phillips. He is actually a a power forward. Six eight two forty. Toby Awaka, who again right now listed as a twenty three kid, but really is a twenty two maybe potentially kid. Uh, from the Bronx, just like Sakai Ziegler, and just like Sakai Ziegler played for the New York Lightning AAU program as well and did a really good job on the EYBL circuit. I believe in the Peach Jam, he led all players in rebounding, I think with like 11 per game or something like that. Um, was named the, the Gatorade Player of the Year in New York, which is a pretty nice distinction for what he did for Cardinal Hayes, where he averaged like 19 and 12 a game um, this past year for Cardinal Hayes. Uh, so, I think Gene, looking at his film and the way he just viciously attacks the rim. I mean, he's a guy that uh, I think is just a gives. We were just talking about it, gives all kinds of effort. You, you can't teach that kind of you know drive and that effort. That that's that's what Toby Walker brings. Again, I'll be really intrigued to see how is what offensively how he can translate into college and what he can do because obviously it's it's one thing to go out and average 19 and 12 in high school um even if it's in new york but you're doing that in a high school game when you're six foot eight 240 like that's i'd be kind of concerned if you're six eight 240 and you aren't averaging a double double in high school um but it's one thing to do that it's another thing to come into college and you know be able to do anywhere close to that as a freshman especially unless you're just a transcendent like you're a a shaquille o'neal type player who was he wasn't six eight. He was like, he was already almost seven foot by the time he was a freshman um, for LSU. But you look at you know just his film and the way he he carries himself. I, I I think he is a prototypical Rick Barnes recruit, Rick Barnes player. He is a very buttoned up professional person. Like he does not come across as a seventeen eighteen year old kid in interviews. I saw the interview he did with Volquest, and I thought this kid seems like he's already in college. Like it seems like he's had a couple years of media training from you know the 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 media the SIDs and stuff at college like he already seems very like respectful and just very you know pretty good in front of the camera and then I watch his film I'm like well there's nothing respectful about his film like he he plays with the uh, with passion I think you know he will be interesting to see if he does come in as a 22 recruit Gene if he red shirts or if, you know if he goes the Jonas Adu route where they do play him it just isn't you know a ton obviously Adu had dealt with other stuff in the beginning of the year with sickness and injury and stuff and then. Um, got forced into more action. They were kind of bringing him on steadily. And they got forced into more action because of Camwa going down. But I think in, in a perfect world, Awaka is a guy that if he does come in as a 22 prospect or 22 signee, you can redshirt him or, you know, or like views him sparingly. Cause I don't, I don't, I think he has a fairly bright future. I, I just like, I like these guys who are big men who, don't view themselves as one and done prospects who don't view themselves, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily the heralded five-star big men, unless you're like a transcendent heralded five-star big man or whatever. But, but I, I like these three-star, maybe even borderline four-star big guys who come in with a lot of potential, just need some coaching. Um, Cause I, I like a lot of what I've seen of Toby Walker. I don't, I don't know how much you've seen him, Gene, so we don't have to talk about him a ton. If you haven't seen, had a chance to look at anything on him, but he came in this past weekend along with DJ Jefferson, who by the way, guys is announcing his commitment on Friday, according to Joe Tipton of Tipton edits. And I think also maybe works for on three. I don't know. Um, but he is seeming a Tennessee lean also, who is again, a, a, I think he's right uh, by on three, he's rated as a four-star in the top 50 prospect. Other places don't have him rated nearly as high, but also a lot of the places haven't updated since he 
really broke out at the Iverson Classic here recently. Um, but again, Gene, I, you know, he came and visited this weekend. He gave glowing reviews of Tennessee and then committed to Tennessee on Tuesday. So again, we don't talk about him too much. If you haven't had a chance to really look at all of his stuff, um, and again, I don't, I, I think his impact on this upcoming season will be. Uh, I'm going to say, I guess minimal is maybe how I'd say it. But hey, maybe he is the post version of Sakai Ziegler. Uh, again, they played the same AAU team. They're both from the Bronx. I imagine he's going to have the same competitive nature as Ziegler. And you're not going to, you know, he's not going to be afraid of anybody. He's not going to be go out there. And if Tennessee has a, a five-star center for in, in the near future or anything like that, he's not going to be afraid of him. You know, Sakai came in with, with five-star Kennedy Chandler and never, never, ever backed down in practice. And it showed on the court when they both were out there at the same time. Uh, Awaka could surprise me and be a guy that goes out and, and plays 15, 20 minutes as a true freshman and averages, you know, five, six points and five, six rebounds. I, I don't know, but um, I think the f- I, I think he has a pretty high ceiling. I don't know, you know how high, but I, I like the I like the pickup. I don't think it's a bad one. It's a guy you can bring along and don't have to worry about him playing. You don't, you're not bringing him in to play immediately, and you don't have to worry about, you know, getting him ready to play immediately, I don't think, but I, I like his potential. Yeah, and I think you bring a kid like that in and you just, if you can get, if you you go through the preseason and if you think that you can maybe milk something out of them, then you put them out there because everything in college basketball is a year-to-year proposition now. And it's, it's tough to just specifically say, we're going to bring you in and redshirt you. Um, that that takes a lot and that that's even from what, you know, like I, I didn't, I just saw the interview. That's even coming across like he's a, you know, kind of a, um, his feet are on the ground. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't, he doesn't believe too much about his ability or whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? Like he's, you know, he's very confident in who he is, but he's not a person. He's focused. There we go. Uh, had to talk my way through that one. But uh, you're, you're talking about a kid here who certainly has some potential i don't know what his end game is uh when you're talking about a kid who's what six eight six nine mm-hmm. um maybe there's some more growth coming there um obviously you're talking about a tough kid who averaged 19 and 14 last year and with those numbers you can go a lot of places um and having done it for a good program a good aau program i'm not exactly sure if they're on a circuit uh, or if they're just like a grassroots program, but obviously a program that's very well. Maybe that's it's got to be EYBL because yeah, it was that's what Ziegler did. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's what Ziegler did. So, um, uh, to you know, to a certain level of recognition and, and doing you know the right thing at the right time, having the the right week weekend at the right time, it looks good to get them. Um, hopefully, I know that here comes the inevitable ratings bump because he signed with Tennessee. <laughs> um, so we'll see what he ends up being because I know he's not necessarily ranked right now, but um, but yeah, I think he's the type of kid from just what what you're looking at and what you're hearing and what you're seeing that I don't think this year is the in game for him, but I would still I'd still try to find a way to maybe a this is not a kid that I say you got to play him. You know, you got to figure out a way to get this kid on the court. Now, if he if he explodes in the off season, and we see him play a time or two, then yeah. But you know, like I, I, this is not a Huntley Hatfield type thing where I'm like, you got to play him, you got to play him. But um, 
yeah, like, look, anytime you bring in a good player, man, I, I don't care. I'll never care about rankings. Um, that'll never be something that really matters to me much. But so the fact he doesn't have them doesn't mean anything more than me than a kid that has all of them. Um, my God. Um, sorry, I got <laughs> I got Celtics heat on and uh, you'd be very happy to think. But but yeah, I mean, like you get this kid in, you see what he can do. You go from there. If he can help you, that's great. If not, uh, make sure that he's aware of the long term plan. And and kind of go from there, because I think just keeping the communication line open and uh, making sure this kid is aware, look, your time's coming, your time's coming. This is what we think you can be. That's key for kids these days, communication, because it's so easy with that portal. Even, you know, kids will transfer with no film. Uh, Tom, but I don't think that's a home yet. No, not yet. Neither, neither Justin Powell either. Just throw names out there of transfer of Tennessee. Well, he technically has film too. That's, that makes it worse for him. Uh, now, who knows what his long-term plans are, but um, yeah, like if you've got no film, it's hard to leave. So, you know, like I hope that if if it doesn't immediately work out for this kid to find his way on the court, that he, you know, keeps, you know, stays grounded and understands the assignment that, hey, we're here to try to, you know, we're here, we're here to make you the best in your career, not just specifically right now. I saw what you uh, reacted to, by the way. It was Aaron Naismith's uh, monster block. <laughs> that was incredible. Actually, it was the actually it was the Robert Williams stunt they're about to show right now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, it was it was an out. It, they did. They showed a brown layup, but it was a here it comes. Nope, nope, it's the same move again. Uh, I'll see it on Twitter. That's why I saw yeah, it. It was, it was on Twitter. It was a lob. Okay. Yeah, it was a lob. Oh, but yeah, to, yeah. To get to get back to your point, and then and to wrap it up here with our final topic in a second too. Now, I, I mean, I think you're. I mean, you're right. Like, stars don't matter. I I think that it'll be. He's not. He's like you said. He's not a. I don't think Iwaka is a guy that you have to play or if like you feel like you have to play unless again he, he comes in and he is able to be a 22 kid and he comes in the summer and then does what Ziegler did and practices and just blows you away and says okay we got to get this kid on the court or our plan was to kind of bring him along slowly and maybe even register him but he's demanding playing time by the way the the work he's putting in a practice so I'll be I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to reach out and get an interview with both uh, Julian Phillips and coaches from his high school, and then also coaches for Toby, Toby Walker's high school. So I, I try to talk to the transfers cause they've been, you know, they've been in college and they've had some media training. A lot of times it's kind of hard to have more than a five minute interview with a high school prospect. So I, I usually don't interview just the high school kids. I usually try to interview their coaches if possible, just to give you all kind of a, a peek behind the curtain and my thought processes for interviews here on the shows. And my experiences when I worked at RTI, and interviewing high school kids versus interviewing coaches that uh, you, you usually get more out of a coach and talk with them for 15, 20, 30 minutes and high school kids. It's a lot harder to do that. They're, they're the rare exceptions of high school kids who give good interviews and, you know, know how to handle themselves in media, but you know, they just haven't had the training. They're not used to it. So I, I don't expect them to, but anyway, to kind of wrap up the show here again, I mentioned DJ Jefferson is announcing his commitment on Friday it seems like Tennessee. I think there's already a crystal ball prediction on on three for him or one of those sites that predicted Tennessee. There's also a 23 kid, uh, Cade Phillips, who's a high four star who's announcing his commitment on Thursday. And from what I've seen, Tennessee has some good momentum there as well. Um, so Tennessee, maybe get some more, uh, booms, I guess is the, 
the way we all sit in social media, some more booms this week, Gene, that in the 23 and maybe 22 classes as well. But I want to finish out the uh, the podcast here. You've already alluded to it a couple of times. I think even I have alluded to it a couple of times too, of maybe another player that Tennessee is, you know, could add and definitely is trying to add to round out the upcoming 22-23 roster. And that is Tyrese Hunter, who Ethan Stone and I talked about on Friday and we said it felt like Texas and I'm still going to lean towards being like Texas, but there seems to be some more momentum with Tennessee there. But again, it's recruiting. As we had just highlighted at the beginning of the show with Julian Phillips, things change sometimes slow, sometimes fast. Um, but Tyrese Hunter, the point guard transfer from Iowa State, right? Iowa State, Texas Tech. I, why did I just forget where he came from? One of the Big 12 schools. Um, he's visiting Kansas. But it seems like Kansas is recruiting kind of three guys for one spot, and one of them is the McCullers kid from Texas Tech. And I think they feel better about their chance. I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. To, he, he, his finalists, Tyrus Hunters, were uh, Tennessee, Texas, Kansas, Gonzaga, Purdue. And I want to say there's another school in there I'm forgetting because I thought he had six, and I think only his name five. Um, I don't know where the other one was now. But anyway, those are all really good schools and schools that have made deep runs at the NCAA tournament recently. And, of course, Kansas just won it all. Uh, Tennessee's, you know, made Sweet 16 and, and an Elite Eight run. Gonzaga's made it to the national championship multiple times. Purdue's made an Elite Eight run in multiple Sweet 16s. And, of course, Texas, uh, the Final Four, a couple of Elite Eights as well. Uh, those are all very highly thought of programs. But, Gene, Tyrese Hunter, as as you very well you know, said it very well earlier, if he comes to Tennessee, he's not coming to be a, a bench player. He's not coming to be a guy who's playing 20 minutes a game. He's coming to be a guy that is looking to eat up the large majority of the minutes that Kennedy Chandler left behind the 30 plus minutes per game that he is leaving behind. And I, I, I think it's there because I don't think this staff wants to hand over the keys to the point guard room, to the offense and I guess defense too, but to the offense to the guys Ziegler just yet. I, I think they would, they would be okay doing it if they had to, but I think maybe even Zagai's maybe I, I, I doubt. I think he's such a competitor that he's going to want to be on the court no matter what. But I think they feel more comfortable having him be, again, that support point guard or, or being in the small ball lineup where you have him on the court with the starting point guard in the, late, you know, the last, last half of the game or so uh, where you have two point guards at the same time. I don't think they want Ziegler to be the full-time starting point guard and have B.J. Edwards be the main backup. I think they like to have there be a veteran point guard and Ziegler be the main backup and also a spot starter slash co-starter, if you will. And then Edwards be a guy that can play but not be like to where you have to count on him to be your main backup um to spell Ziegler in this case it'd be Ziegler spelling Hunter and or or again then both being on the floor at the same time then you have I don't know Vescovy and Phillips I again the minute allocation is gonna be really interesting next year especially if they do land Hunter but Gene that that to me is the biggest remaining question mark and I talked about this with Ethan is Hunter's I think the biggest name left on the board now for Tennessee now that Phillips is off and is 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 of all um, if Hunter does choose Texas, which again, I still feel like is probably the case. I don't know. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Who, who knows what happens by Wednesday? Who knows what happens by Thursday, Friday? Um, but if Hunter doesn't choose Tennessee, I, I, I don't know. There's not that many other point guards in the transfer pool to right now, Gene, that I think Tennessee really has a connection with, or that they maybe even want to try to bring in. I think if you don't get Hunter, you, you save that that scholarship spot maybe for next year. I mean, you could go find another point guard. I just don't – there's a point, as I said to Ethan Friday, there's a point of diminishing returns where you're just better off not just bringing in a body to have a body, but you're better off just 
giving it to Zeeler and Edwards and having Vescovy be, you know, your, your, I guess like third option to just, to just have him as a, as a point guard, but even though he's better off ball and I think he's, you know, thrived as more of an off ball role, but I don't know to me, I, I think Hunter is a really good ad if they get him gene, but like you said, if he's looking for guaranteed playing time, I think there's, I, I still think there's a really good amount at Tennessee. I just obviously with Texas, their point guard, Courtney Ramey, just leaving, there's an obvious hole there for him. Uh, Kansas has one spot open, but again, they're recruiting three guys for that one spot. I think Hunter could find, you know, have room there. I know Purdue had an open spot. I don't know. I don't know what their roster is like now, but I know they had openings at guard as well at one point. So I don't know to wrap it all up here, Gene Hunter would be a huge, huge addition for Tennessee. And that would, that would fill the final question mark I have really for this team would be at point guard. Now that Kennedy Chandler is gone, but there's not a guarantee to get him. And then if he does, I mean, again, the minute allocations can be so intriguing. That's not for us to figure it out. That's that's on the coaches. And it's not a bad problem to have. It's like with the Lady Vols, like trying to, for them figuring out the minute allocation for next year is going to be really interesting because of the talented roster they have. The Tennessee gets Tyrus Hunter, they're going to have a talented roster where they're going to have to figure out uh, who plays when and how and where. Um, but again, I don't know that Hunter comes to Tennessee. If they do, great. If they doesn't, where do you go? Because I don't know that you... I don't know if there's another point guard out there that Tennessee has an in with or is, you know, worth bringing in just to have a body on the roster. Right. I think, um, well, I think the interesting thing is if you get, I think Ziegler is the type of kid who is perfectly okay, whether he starts or if he comes off the bench, Um, it just seems that way. Um, And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that kid is determined, but I mean, we have a year of we have a year of knowledge of that kid suggests that he's going to be the same player whether he starts or comes off the bench. He's going to play about twenty something minutes a game. I thought Barnes did a really good job of like mixing and matching those lines with with he and Chandler, Chandler in, Ziegler in, Chandler and Ziegler in with Vescovy. Um, so I think if they get Hunter. Now you're still talking about a situation where Ziegler would be okay. But, you know, like, obviously, if I'm Texas, I'm probably using, excuse me, I'm using what I what I have to my advantage. I'm saying, look, there's no sharing. There's none of that. Uh, this is your ball. So, I mean, you get here, essentially, this is your ball. And, uh, Obviously, he's familiar having just played, having played in the same league, having played in the same what state. Am I getting him confused? Say that one more time. Uh, I know he played in the same league. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He played in the same conference. Um, he played at I, <sighs> Iowa State. I'm going to look it up because now I'm, I, I keep getting him and someone else confused. It was Iowa State or Texas Tech. Yeah, there's an Iowa State kid, there's a Texas Tech kid. That's got me confused there for a second, but. Uh, he's definitely either way. He played. Yeah, the same Hunter league. played for Iowa State. Okay, so you're talking about a kid who played in the same league, so he's familiar with the surroundings. And sometimes that's all these kids need is just a certain level of familiarity. Um, I know kids that have transferred from one school in the same league to another, and um, and because there's a certain level of just familiarity with that league, with that landscape, uh, with the layout, and you know, and that's. It's always going to be weird to me that he decided to leave, (laughs) 
But now that we're here, you know, what's the best case for him? Is it is it Texas or is it Tennessee? Or does Kansas somehow sneak in in the 23rd hour and steal him away? But you're talking about a kid who um, is a good player and can certainly help this team should he make the decision to go to Tennessee. It's just uh, much like you think that's more of a long shot than a reality. But as Julian Phillips has shown us, it can be wrong. It definitely can be wrong. Um, yeah, he was a Big 12 all-freshman last year. In fact, he was the, the freshman of the year um, in the Big 12 last season for Iowa State. I, I, we, we talked about him extensively on the podcast where Yuri Collins decided to come back to St. Louis, and then like 48 hours later, Hunter dropped his top six and had Tennessee in his side. We talked about it extensively there. It, it is... Just to reiterate, you know, his stats this past year for Iowa State, he, he played basically uh, 32 minutes a game, started off 35 games that he played in. Um, his offensive numbers were, I guess the shoot numbers weren't great. He shot 27% from three, uh, did shoot 46% from two, which brought his overall th- shooting percentage up to uh, 39%. 68%, almost 69% from free throw line. Again, not amazing. Um, 11 points, but five assists, two steals per game. And then even though he's six foot, 179, which is, again, about right around what uh, Kenny Chandler was. He also averaged uh, three, three and a half rebounds per game, which to me is always impressive if you're a six-foot player and average between three and four uh, boards per game. But again, I, I think even though he's the same, he'd be the same year as Ziegler, where, you know, they'd both be sophomores. It just Hunter was a, was a you know, he's got a lot of skills and he's a very, very good defender. I mean, Ziegler is too. But again, they both averaged over two steals per game. Um by looking at kind of the advanced metrics type of stuff and like looking at the defensive metrics, defensive win shares and stuff like that. Um, Hunter's defensive win shares and his defensive box plus minus were a lot higher than his offensive. So, I mean, he was a really good defender last season for Iowa state. Um, again, it's reflected in the steals, but steals can be misleading sometimes because you can have a lot of steals and be a bad defender. Cause it sometimes means you're just more lucky than good sometimes if you have a lot of steals that's not, not always um but sometimes it can be but no it just means that yeah it just means that you're playing passing lanes and just i mean mm-hmm. alan iverson was a pro at that i mean like he was not a good defender but you know because he was so small he had to take chances so he got a lot of yep. steals that way it doesn't always mean you're good I, yeah but I, I that's i know what you're saying yeah yeah but it, yeah so regardless tyrus hunter i think it's come down to Tennessee and texas and, and like you said kansas getting him on the visit uh, I mean, it's hard to resist the allure of a blue blood like Kansas, especially now that they've just won a national title and it doesn't really seem like there's going to be any fallout from into the NCAA investigation to them. And now with the era of NIL, I mean, what can you do against Kansas at this point? So, I mean, uh, it, it just, it just seems like, you know, he, he's going to have his pick, he's going to have his pick of wherever he wants to go. But those three schools really are the, the main focus. And really, I think it's Tennessee and Texas are the, the main two. I, don't, I haven't heard a timeline for him in terms of when he's announcing, but again, I know Thursday is Cade Phillips and Friday is DJ Jefferson for Vol fans looking ahead for you know announcements that that are big for Tennessee. But we'll see about Tyrus Hunter again. Like you said, Gene, we were proven wrong about Julian Phillips, and I'm I'm glad, man. I was very happy to be proven wrong about Julian Phillips uh, and him not coming to Tennessee because. Uh, he came to Tennessee, so <laughs> it's good for Tennessee. Uh, but yeah, so far the the office the recap for Tennessee right now in the off season. Uh, of course, you all know about all the transfers out, but the guys coming in just kind of like last year's Gene. Unless they get Tyrus Hunter, it's going to be. I don't want to spend. I'm trying to close out the show, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of talking points on this just right now. But it's just interesting to me that 
you've got one transfer and the rest of the guys have been high school kids. Just like last year, we're, we're in the era of the transfer portal. And last year, Tennessee only brought in one transfer and now he's gone off the roster after one year, but Justin Powell and the rest of them are high school kids this year, one transfer and technically three, but two that we know of for sure are going to be in the 22 roster are high school kids. And then you've got another get one committing on Friday that you feel good about. That's a high school kid. Um, so we'll see what happens, but right now Tennessee has two slash three high school kids committed, maybe fourth one Friday and just one transfer, uh, Tennessee in the era of the transfer portal hasn't hit it as hard as a lot of schools have. And, uh, but again, last year it paid off for them. We'll see what happens this year and who ultimately they're able to get here in the next couple weeks, month. I don't know. It may, may, it's going to be interesting with the recruiting period going even further out for the upcoming season into like May and stuff because of the transfer portal and because of you know, when they're allowed to withdraw their names from the NBA draft considerations and things like that too. Because there's still a lot of guys that are in there right now uh, who once they decide to pull their name out of the NBA draft consideration can come back and transfer. I mean, you, you were talking, uh, you and I, Gene, before we were recording, we are talking about Malachi Smith. I mean, he's a guy who's going through the draft process and withdrew his name and now can transfer wherever he wants to. I get wish again, wish he'd come to Tennessee, but he's not going to. But he's a talented kid that is going to use his last year. I, I, you know, sure to go elevate his um, stock and to get more eyes on him than he, where he was at UTC. But anyway, I, I could Gene's been a while since you and I were on here, so you and I could talk for a long time about stuff. But I think I'll go ahead and wrap it up here at the one hour mark. So I want to say thank all of you all again for listening. Again, when we record next week, hopefully Gene and I will have time next week to do it. We're gonna have a bunch to talk about again because Tennessee's might add another commitment or two or three or 10. Uh, and we'll have plenty to talk about because there's, there's just, there's no shortage of off season topics right now. There's a little bit of a, of a lull there for a second and everything all like it always does just came in bunches uh, for Tennessee for news wise. But again, to wrap up Tennessee gets Julian Phillips, Tennessee gets Tobey Waka, Grant Williams, stellar in game seven. And there may be some more commitments on the horizon for the Vols. But again, thank you all for listening, watching. If you're on YouTube, subscribe if you haven't and like this video. It really helps out uh, the show. It helps out the videos when you like them. I really appreciate that. And leave comments too because all the all the uh, algorithm stuff, all the engagement stuff, it really, it really does help. It, the YouTubers don't just say it to be saying it. It really does help. So I appreciate all the help you guys give us and support. So uh, subscribe there. Subscribe to the podcast if you are you know just want to listen to it and don't want to watch it. That's totally fine as well. We appreciate any and all support you give us. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.